Good evening. Again, my name is Isaac Klingman. Um, I'm here, been here at Northside for a couple years, and uh, thank Toby and the elders for the opportunity to bring a lesson to you this evening. Um, I kind of felt like Will in his shoes uh, last week or the week before when I'm sitting there listening to Steve give his lesson this morning, and he's just hitting a lot of the points that I've already thought about. And I said, well, we're going to be covering a lot of the same stuff, and he did it ten times better than I ever will. So um, I apologize, but it should we're going to cover a few things a little bit differently um, about seeing um, and being fearful. And really what it, this stemmed from is... Wednesday evenings, um, our little Bible study that Doug's created, Just Us Men. If you're a man and want to come join us, come see us back off the multi-purpose room. Um, but we're talking about heroes of the Bible. And uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we were talking about Caleb and his story. And we read about the story of the spies going to Canaan and the reports that they brought back. And, you know, I've read that story a lot of times, and you grow up listening to it, and you, you hear it a lot, but for some reason, it poked a lot of questions in my mind and, and wanderings, and obviously, once you ask one question, another question follows, and another, and another, and so, kind of wanted to touch on two questions that I kind of raised from this story, um, and then we'll look at an Old Testament example and then jump to a New Testament example and kind of what it's doing in our lives as well. Um, so turn with me to Numbers chapter 13, where it all starts. We're going to jump around a bit. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we are going to read quite a bit just for context and to get the story. So we're going to start in Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. All these men were the heads of the people of Israel. Then we're going to jump forward, but from the first three verses, he says, Send to the men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel which they've known this ever since basically the beginning, that God is going to be giving them this promised land, the land of Canaan. And he tells Moses to have each tribe get basically the chief among them. So, you know, wise people that that lead their tribes. And so they gather three of them. It goes through and, and names the um, men that were selected. And obviously one of those was Caleb, the son of Jephthah. And then let's jump down to 17, and we'll read a little bit of the story here. So, Numbers 13, starting verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said to them, Go up into Negev, and the hill, up into the hill country, and see what, land, what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether that the cities that they dwell in are in camps or strongholds. And whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, you have good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness to Zin, to Reob, near Labohatham. They went up to Negev and then came to Hebron. Amen, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built years before Zoan in Egypt. 
And they came to the valley of Eshcol and cut there from a branch a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between the two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshcol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. And at the end of the forty days they returned from spying out the land and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, "With We came to the land that you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and its fruit. So they've come back from the big journey. And obviously, you know, if from the eyes of the other people in the tribes that are waiting for this report back, you know, 40 days is a long time. And you've been hearing about this you know, promised land that God is giving you and you're starting to get excited and maybe even worrisome and what's coming back. And they come back and the first thing they say is it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. You know, a cluster of grapes that two men had to carry on a pole. You know, just such amazing. And you could think of the initial emotion that they hear from this report. But then, verse 28, however, we love that word. The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. So obviously, they see that, however, and now that everybody hears this, fear strikes in. Of There's this great reward, but there's these people in between. And people are starting to worry and grumble. So you go to verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw were in great height. And they were, there we saw Nephilim, the sons of Anak that came from Nephilim, and we've seemed like ourselves grasshoppers, and we seem, so we seemed to them. So obviously Caleb, being a, a faithful man, says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we'll be able to overcome it. And everybody's probably looking at him like, you're nuts. Um, especially because he said, let us go up at once. You know, typically, if you run into a, a situation or trying to overtake a land, there's times to study and to come up with, you know, plans of attack and ways to, to enter the land. And Caleb's, as soon as they get back, he says, let's go. And everybody's pumping the brakes, saying, whoa, you're, you're crazy. And so let's continue. Chapter starting in 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept, the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, What we, what that we had died in the land of Egypt, or what that we die in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So you would think, and they're even referencing, the time of struggle that they had in the wilderness coming from Egypt. And you would think, instead of talking about, you know, that they didn't die there and let's go back, it would be, God got us through this. Let's continue on. 
However, that isn't the case. So going on to verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephna, who were among these, who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we had passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give us the land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for there are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of God appeared to the tent of the meeting of all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs and things I have done among them? I will strike them with my pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater, mightier than they. And then we go on to read, Moses intercedes for the people, uh, basically, you know, going to God and saying, look, if you do this, everyone else outside that's heard of this, you know, your tribe and that you're taking to this great land, if you kill them, it's not going to look good. And then God agrees, but then still promises judgment to them. And so... What we get out of the story, the one question that I asked initially from the spies is, how could they not believe the power of God after everything they've seen? How could they have not trusted the fact that God will get them into the promised land after everything they've been through? They got to the point, they're standing almost right there. They could probably taste it. They even brought back some of its fruits. And they don't, don't believe. And so... You know, they, after everything they've encountered, they still can't fathom or see the power of God and the plans he has for them. They couldn't see what God had planned for them and told them they could really just see what they saw. They couldn't fathom the, the plan or what God has told them over time because it's something you can't fathom. The only thing they can see is seven-foot giants that are in this land that are hard to overcome. And so their manly mind and worldly views take control and the fear sets in. And obviously when the fear sets in, they don't trust and tend to forget God and his word. And then I ask the question, why couldn't God just make it easier? Why couldn't it be a land full of two-foot people that you could just trample on and go in there and punt them like footballs? You know, why, why did it have to be giants? And why does God make it so difficult, not only for them in this time, but also you can ask that question today for believers or anything we run into. But the truth is, you know, when we try to see and and visualize what God has told us, the plan is easy and you will win. So if they would have believed what God had told them and took taken that to heart, then it would have been easy for them to overcome. If they all would have listened to Caleb right that, then, there, and moment, you know, they would probably already have been enjoying the promised land. But too often do our earthly minds get in the way. You know, sometimes the sin in our nature becomes large, threatening, and things seem impossible to overcome. And we still ask, why doesn't God help? Or why is it so hard? Why couldn't he just, you know, give us the rules right away? Why isn't it easy to follow? Well, God can't help those who don't want to believe in him. He has too much respect for the free will that he gave us. In fact, without faith, it is impossible to please God and receive his support 
and rewards. I read something uh, the other day. Faith means not looking or seeing what is visible, but believing that God is almighty. Faith means being obedient even when we can't see the results. Faith means action. Faith gives results. Now read it one more time. Faith not means not looking at or seeing what is visible, but believing that God is almighty. Faith means being obedient even when we can't see the results. Faith means action. Faith gives results. So God didn't set the spies up for failure. He didn't, you know, say, I'm going to make this so hard that it won't even occur. It was actually really easy if they just believed in him. If they believed in him and what he had promised, and they came back with a good report and excited for to fulfill his word, then they would have been rewarded. Now, faith can be a very hard thing for us and also for non-believers. You know, a lot of times, and I've heard this from fellow friends or others of, you know, if I, if I grew up in the times of Jesus, it would be a lot easier. You know, if I, if I was walking next to him or growing up in those times, it would be so much easier to, to follow God. And uh, we can see that that's not the case, actually. And what we'll look at is, you know, people say, if I could have seen and heard the stories firsthand, or if I could have seen the miracles or been a part of the buzz, you know, it, it would be easy. Um, but that's, it's still not the case. You know, still during that time, people with Jesus did not believe. So for a New Testament example, let's go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and the buzz of his presence and miracles. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead and many people know of that. And we have this scene where there's a large crowd all excited for Jesus. You know, there's great anticipation and excitement among the people. They've heard these words of the Messiah, the Savior, and what he's done. These people saw Jesus as a potential leader after hearing all the things he did. And they were ready for a king. And they were hailing him as one. But then, as the story goes on, this begins to change, and Jesus begins to reveal the will of God to the people, and we start to see something different. So let's read a little bit from John chapter 12, starting in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd there that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others had said and angels had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up to the earth, will draw all people to myself. Verse 33, he said to show this, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that a son of man must be lifted up? 
Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So here we see this huge crowd that is excited for Jesus to come. He comes in riding a, a donkey and starting to treat him like a king, the, the Savior, the Messiah that they, they want. And they start to get excited, and then he starts to really say what God's will is for him. You know, in Jesus' words, he revealed to the people what God had created for the salvation of mankind. Everything had been laid out for the people, but still they started to not believe. So these people had grown up, they're growing up in the time of Jesus. They've heard the miracles. Some probably have even seen them. Lazarus is raised from the dead, something that no one's ever seen. And this man that they hear of comes in, and then he starts to talk, and people just don't like it. You know, God's part was sending Jesus to save and to be crucified, and man's part is to live a crucified life and the continual putting to death of a worldly being and putting death to sin. That's what God was telling them. And then the people start to to not believe. So let's continue on. Verse 37. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from there. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So the word that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he had heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with the heart in turn, and I will heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be part, put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You know, that verse 43 sums it up very nicely and is essentially what we still face today. You know, in, in this scene, the crowd did not like what Jesus was saying. They didn't like it because, first of all, the idea of a crucified Savior you know, they, they wanted a savior to be with them. They wanted a king that had all these wor- earthly possessions and they wanted to live among him. They didn't want a uh, Messiah that was envisioned as meek and humble servant that would be put to death. They were wanting a king and all of his earthly glory and to live in it. They didn't want to believe the voice from heaven that we read in, in verse 28. You know, they heard the voice from heaven of, of God talking to Jesus and some doubt it. They say it's thunder. Others say it's, it's the voice of an angel. They start to, to not accept. And that reason is because their version of deliverance was not what Jesus said. So they didn't accept or believe. Even with all the signs and miracles that pointed towards the unseen life after this, the people refused to take a step towards it for the fear of losing their place in the physical world that they can see and touch. And it's something that's very difficult for for all of us. Um, it was difficult for people before Christ and seeing all the, the prophets and signs that came before him. It was difficult for the people living with Christ. And it's difficult for us today because it is so hard to to fathom. And especially listening to Steve this morning, it makes your mind even go 100 more miles an hour, um, what he has to say as well. 
But really, when we just trust in God and trust His Word, and don't really take into account the earthly possessions or, or fear of losing them, then He will take care of us and provide. And, you know, in today's age, fear comes in many different ways, especially for us as believers today. You know, it's a lot of peer pressure today, especially for the young ones. When I was in high school, it was a lot different than today, which is saying a lot because it wasn't that long ago, actually, um, believe it or not. But, you know, the fear of not talking to someone or mentioning Christ's name because you don't know how they're going to react, especially in, in you know, working in, at your work, not mentioning or there's gossip going on and you're afraid to even pull yourself away from it because of what someone else is going to say. You know, fear has is, is driven us into a lot of things these days. And I truly do believe that, you know, the media today and the world we live in today has made us even more fearful than ever of, of what to do. And honestly, you know, if you look at a good example of someone who's maybe a little less fearful in what people think about them, um, it is, I would say, and don't take offense, but some of the silver-haired folks in today's day and age. Um, because they have more wisdom, they know what, you know, needs to be done. And, you know, sometimes they aren't going to, you know, think badly or, or think of the replications of talking to someone or, or sharing Christ. Um, you know, how often is it that, you know, someone is more amped to go up and talk to a non-believer and convert someone that maybe has that, not that fear of what's going to happen or what are they going to think of me. And, you know, it's, it's a challenge especially, I would say, for the younger generations of, of sharing Christ just because of that. And so, for those who believe in Jesus, he assures us that the faith we have in him and his way is given us is secure because it comes from God. And he tells us that tells us that in the last few verses, and we'll continue, John chapter 12, verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore I say, as the Father has told me. So no matter how hard it is, we can't let the things of this life that we physically see or feel Stop us from being faithful to God and trusting in his plan and the plan that we can't see and sometimes can't fathom. You know, we, let's try not to let our faith waver because of the fear or inability to give up the earthly possessions. Let us remember that and trust that God provides if we believe in him. So that's my message for tonight. It may be a little short, maybe a little long. I have no idea, but that's the the words I have for this evening. Um, But let us bow in prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this evening thanking you again for the opportunity to, to come together and learn from your word once again. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you have given us, the blessings of the Bible to tell us the stories and learn from others like Caleb and from the, the tribes and from those who lived around Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the good stories and the bad stories of what to do and, and what not to do. Lord, we pray that we take those good stories and, and apply them to our lives, and we pray that we learn from those bad stories and change our lives to, to not do that. Lord, we pray that you give us the strength to go out in this world and to go out in this week and to not look at all the earthly possessions and things and rewards that we have in this life that we may lose for sharing your word. Lord, we pray that you help us keep our eyes on you and help us to see the unseen as we've learned today and to to focus on your word and be true followers of Christ. Lord, most importantly, we thank you for your son who you've sent to die on the cross for the mission of our sins. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.